From Kindred Church, your inclusive church family. This podcast is a collection of sermons from our weekly worship services in Durham, North Carolina. Whatever your background is, wherever you are on your faith journey, we hope this message helps you take your next steps in response to God's unconditional love. Well, hello and welcome to Kindred Church. It's great to be with you. If we've not met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. And if this is your first time to worship with us, we're especially glad that you've tuned in. Uh, Real fast before we get to the scripture and the sermon today, I just wanted to share a special update with you that I'm really excited about. Uh, Starting next Sunday, that's February the 5th, every single week we're going to be offering uh, elementary Bible time to our children who are elementary age. Uh, There will be a point in the service just before the sermon where elementary age children will be invited to uh, step outside of worship and go to their own space to have a a Bible lesson and discussion and and activity with our kindred kids team. And then the elementary age kids will uh, join us back in worship in time for communion. Uh, We're excited about that way that elementary age students can uh, engage and and grow in their faith in a a developmentally appropriate way. Uh, Certainly no elementary students will be required to to leave. It's purely uh, optional, but we're excited to to offer that and and to grow our children's ministry uh, in that way. So for those of you who are parents, for those of you who have elementary schoolers, uh, make note of that. And uh, that's going to be an offering that we have again every Sunday beginning next Sunday, uh, February the 5th. Uh, All right. Our scripture reading for today comes from John chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 35 through 39. And it says this, The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replied, Come and see. And so they went, and they saw where he was staying, And they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, this morning we have a a special treat. Our friend uh, Charlie Baber is back to to preach for us. Uh, Pastor Charlie, as many of you know, is the youth pastor at our mother church, University United Methodist. And uh, occasionally Charlie gets to come to Kindred and and preach for us. And it's always a joy when he does. So I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Charlie now uh, to lead us in the fourth and, and final part of our sermon series called Where is God? When I was 17... I'm pretty sure I knew everything. I was that super evangelical kid with Bible verses scribbled on my airwalks and indie Christian ska blasting from my disc man. I knew that faith could move mountains, like literal mountains, and I knew that if my dad knew his way around every city in America, even ones he'd never been to before, then surely that internal GPS tracking must have passed on to me. And so on spring break of my junior year of high school, my younger brother and I went to spend the weekend at my grandparents' house in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It was our first road trip with me driving and no parents anywhere in sight. We were really going because our favorite band, 
Five Iron Frenzy was going to be there in concert, opened by Switchfoot and this local group dressed up like Amish people called the Skanking Boovas. Yes, kids, the late 90s was a different time. My parents approved this because one day on the trip, I was supposed to tour Messiah College to see if I wanted to go there. On the day of the tour, uh, my brother and I hopped in the car, cranked up the Jesus jams, and hit the Pennsylvania Turnpike with no address, no map, no cell phones, just the brazen confidence of a 17-year-old boy who believed, I believed, that I had this deep sense of direction rooted in my genetics. It wasn't long, though, before I detected maybe uh, some flaws in this blind faith. Perhaps I had assumed too much about how Dad exactly found his way around everywhere. Or, or perhaps I presumed too much about how that trait might be genetically passed down to me. After getting through an entire CD and still flying directionless on the turnpike, I had to make a decision. Now, before I share that decision with you, I, I ask you, friends, who among you is without sin? Who among you has done nothing so stupid that they have refused to talk about it since 1998? Well, in that moment, I decided to do what any overly confident and rational 17-year-old boy would do, I decided to start following this random truck on the highway because the driver seemed very confident about what he was doing. He must know where he is going. I mean, look at the way he commanded the road. A real leader. So I followed a total stranger for about another hour. And um, turns out he was not heading to Messiah College after all. So, uh... At some point, uh, I was over an hour late for my scheduled college tour, and it turns out had driven at least an hour past the college because I wasn't looking for road signs. I was paying attention to the confident stranger that I was following. Not uh, really sure how I eventually got to Messiah College, but if memory serves me, I think it probably had something to do with repenting of my false beliefs and um, maybe stopping to ask for directions like three times. So I wonder, in your experience, what does it feel like to be wrong? Embarrassing? Dreadful? Two thumbs way down? Nobody loves being wrong. In her 2011 TED Talk on being wrong, Catherine Schultz says, those are the feelings of shame that you associate with realizing you are wrong. But just being wrong, she says, just being wrong feels like being right. Look, I was super wrong about my supposed inherent sense of direction. And until I realized it, I felt right. 
I was confident. I was following that confident stranger right past my destination and an additional hour's drive in the wrong direction. And if, if just being wrong feels like being right, chances are high that every one of us is wrong about something that we believe to be right, right now. In his sermon on a Catholic spirit, the Methodist founder John Wesley acknowledges that the limits of human nature mean we're going to hold different opinions on the right and best way to live a Christian life. We all believe that our opinions are true. I mean, if we believed we were wrong, we probably wouldn't hold those opinions. So, theoretically, we hold our beliefs tight enough to guide us in our life and our choices, but also, hopefully, loose enough to not be devastated should we be proven wrong. But, I mean, it's one thing to be wrong about driving directions. It's a, another thing to be wrong about God, right? I mean, isn't the whole point of being a Christian that, like, you're suddenly, I don't know, right about God? Many of us here have this innate sense that doubt is not welcome in the church. Perhaps you were raised in a religious institution that forbade doubt and questioning, like the son in third grade at Catholic school who was called in for a parent-teacher conference because he was asking questions about whether Adam and Eve could be real. Or the young woman who told me in college that if I kept asking challenging questions about Christianity, I was going to question my faith away into non-existence. Or perhaps you've clung to certain scripture that seems to turn doubt into a vice. Like when Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 21, 21, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. I mean, that's some matrix level, there is no spoon kind of faith going on there. Or maybe uh, you grew up really clinging to James 1, verses 6 through 8, um, where uh, James says, When you pray, you must believe and not doubt at all. Whoever doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and blown about by the wind. If you are like that, unable to make up your mind and undecided in all you do, you must not think that you will receive anything from the Lord. And if you really want some moral anxiety about your doubts, read Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. A basic Christian belief is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, by faith. In other words, it's not the good or bad things you do that, that save you, but, but faith alone. So if, if my faith wavers, if I doubt, if I have big questions, does that mean that I'm not saved anymore? This, this line of thinking turns faith itself 
into a moral virtue, where having the right belief becomes a moral litmus test of who is a good Christian and who is a dirty doubter. Having enough faith, having no doubt, just becomes another good work that proves you are morally good enough to belong. Maybe it would be one thing if we were just saying, hey, do you believe God exists? Yeah, okay, cool. Or, hey, do you believe Jesus shows us that God's love, what God's love really looks like? But in the church, in religion in general, it, it rarely stops there. Over and over, we see communities where blind faith is expected on every level. Don't ask questions about our leadership decisions. Don't ask questions about why we don't allow certain genders or sexualities in leadership. Don't ask questions about anything we teach you. I mean, in some Christian communities, you're a moral failure just for holding different political beliefs than the rest of your church. A common slogan you might hear in those communities is, don't put a question mark where God put a period. The, the problem is, what if it was the people who put the period and drew a black and white line in the sand? And, and, and what if it's God who's the one calling you to ask questions about it? So we have the stats to prove that insisting on blind faith has had increasingly devastating consequences on the evangelical church. A 2014 Pew Research poll says about 25 million Americans who had been raised in the church um, had either left the church or left religion entirely. Christian ethicist David Gushy believes that this ongoing mass exodus from the church is what he calls conscientious objection, saying ex-evangelicals are leaving based on what they believe to be specific offenses against them personally or against their family and friends, and specific experiences of trauma that have left lasting damage like clergy sexual abuse, sexist exclusion and mistreatment, and every kind of indignity against gay, lesbian, and trans people. Some are leaving based on intellectual problems that they just couldn't resolve, like biblical inerrancy or evolution or just an overall closed-mindedness. And some are leaving the church because they believe the ethical posture of evangelicalism itself on sex, on race, on worldly politics reeks with hypocrisy or is, in fact, itself unethical. At Kindred, we hope to promote a culture of faith-seeking understanding. This idea was promoted by an important 12th century Christian philosopher, Anselm of Canterbury, and it has been deeply influential in many strands of Christianity. For Anselm, to have faith is to embody the desire to love God and love neighbor. In fact, Anselm described blind faith or, or just believing because you're told to believe. He called that dead faith. Faith 
seeking understanding is an active posture. It's a, a pursuit, a journey of discovery. Faith is not the assumption that one has already attained full and perfect knowledge. Instead, faith is more like a, a willingness to explore with the hope that in that exploration, you may discover more and more of God's love. Now, faith-seeking understanding as a concept didn't just magically appear as a new idea in the 12th century. Anselm was just giving updated language to what we already see happening in the Gospels. The Gospel of John, which we just read today, it starts a little differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In, in the other Gospels, Jesus' first disciples are fishermen, but in John, the first disciples already had a master, a teacher. They had been following John the Baptist. And one day, for some reason, the story makes a point to tell us it was at four o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus is just strolling by John and John's disciples like a confident truck driver on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And these disciples trusted John the Baptist. They had left everything to devote their lives to his cause. And here in this moment, their teacher, John, points to Jesus and tells his followers, that guy there is the Lamb of God. Maybe it's a weird thing to say if you think about it, but what he meant to do is recall uh, certain scripture to their minds. The Lamb of God, the sacrificial Passover lamb in Exodus, and the suffering servant in Isaiah. That that little direction was enough for John's disciples to take interest in Jesus and to get up and follow him. So Jesus notices them pretty quickly and asks them the big question, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? It's an invitation to honesty, to vulnerability, Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John are an invitation to every one of us. What are you looking for? Presumably, you're worshiping with us today because like John's disciples, someone told you that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the, the way, the truth, the life. Maybe you've never known what that really meant. I mean, what does it really mean when Christians say that Jesus saves? But, but you came, you showed up, you're here, and I'm sure you have your reasons, but, but maybe you haven't thought much about it. So, so I invite you right now, just take a deep breath and think about your answer to that question, to Jesus' question, like as if it were meant for only you in this moment. What are you looking for? John's disciples give a simple question in return. Rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? Now we know it's 4 p.m., which in my mind means it's almost dinner o'clock. Superficially, we could see these guys are just looking for a new master to follow who will meet some basic needs like food and shelter. 
but nothing in John's gospel is superficial. Where are you staying has a much deeper meaning because the Greek word uh, that this was written in, the, the word for staying here is meno, which everywhere else in the gospel of John is translated as abide. On the surface, these disciples want to know where Jesus is sleeping that night, but their real question, what they are really looking for, is where does Jesus abide? In the Gospel of John, abide is, is a, a word that describes a, a permanent residence. Abiding in Jesus means God making a home, God abiding in you. But Jesus doesn't tell them that. He doesn't dive right into creeds and beliefs. Jesus simply says, come and see. That is the invitation of faith right there at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. If you want to know where Jesus abides, if you want to know whether God's love is real at all, come and see. That is the invitation of faith. Come and see is such a different approach to faith than convert or die, right? I mean, how might this invitation to come and see Jesus for yourself disrupt your paradigm of a faith without questions? For every verse of scripture about belief without doubt, you have another scriptural witness that welcomes your doubt and questions. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 challenges us to test everything holding fast to what is good. That sounds much more like the scientific method than a blind assumption to already have all the answers. And there's the greatest commandment in Luke 10.27 where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus makes it very clear that we do not check our minds at the door when it comes to faith, but that your mind, your rational thought, it's, it's one of the ways you love God. And, and Jesus invites our questions in Matthew 7 when he at, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. I mean, that sounds an awful lot like an invitation to ask questions. And, and probably the most honest confession of all the Scripture is the dad who proclaims to Jesus in Mark 9, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's a million different questions we have just in this worship community alone. If God is good, why do bad things happen? Why be a Christian when there are other religions that also seem to be valuable? Why have a religion at all? What should I do with my life? If Adam and Eve were the only people, then where did their son's wife come from? 
or how can I know what the right thing to do is? Or do I have to believe Jonah survived being swallowed in a giant fish for three days? Or if the church is the body of Christ on earth, why has the church been instrumental in genocide and colonialism, enslavement and abuse? Or does God really send people to hell? Or my 17-year-old self very much wondered, if I die before my favorite TV series is finished, will I be able to watch the rest of it in heaven? What are you looking for, friend? I mentioned that it was weird how specific it was that the gospel writer told us this story between Jesus and John's disciples happened at about four o'clock in the afternoon. It's oddly specific. Well, it's believed that the time is shared here to mark the moment of new birth for these disciples. Now, they had not made some bold confession of belief. They had not professed their faith. They just received the invitation to come and see. They took it. Your, your questions don't mark you as faithless, my friend. Your questions are a sign of growth. If you, if you really want answers, you really want the truth, your questions are setting you on a path paved by countless disciples before you. Ask, seek, knock, come and see. Faith-seeking understanding is not wishy-washy relativism. Accepting the possibility that you could be wrong about some things is not an invitation to believe nothing, nor is it an invitation to believe everything. Faith-seeking understanding, it's not an indifference. It's an investment. It is an investment in aligning your worldview with reality. How does this belief that I hold line up with the real world? Start with Jesus' question to you. What are you looking for? Like John's disciples, are you willing to look for those answers? Faith is an investment in the daily question, how do I best love God and others? The invitation is always there. Come and see. Maybe you'll find that you were wrong about some things. Maybe you'll find that God is right there in your questions. Maybe you'll find what you're looking for. Let us pray. God, our refuge, God in the storm, God in the wilderness, grant us peace where we participate in your love and disrupt our peace when we practice harm. Surround us when we feel most alone. Send us out to be light and mercy in an often so merciless world. 
Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Charlie. Uh, friends, just a few things here quickly for us before we go. Uh, if you're new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you. If you'll click the connect link in the description here, I'll reach out to you later this week to say hey and welcome and answer any questions that you might have. Uh, if you're local, we would love to see you in in-person worship. You can get the details about how to do that on our website. It's kindrednc.church. Uh, and finally, be sure to click the announcements link in the description that will take you to this week's newsletter, which has everything you need to to stay up to date and, and engaged with us and, and growing with your growing in your faith uh, with us here at Kindred Church. And so with that, friends, remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. Thanks for tuning in. If this message was meaningful to you, consider sharing it with a friend who might also find it meaningful. To support this ministry, to get involved with Kindred Church, or to learn more about us, check out our website, kindrednc.church. We hope you have a great week.